Thanks for tuning in to Reach Radio, a podcast for public health professionals looking to expand their network, be inspired, and discover resources and tools that help improve the experience of public health professionals and patients in their communities. I'm your host, Fran. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Reach Radio. I am honored to be able to introduce you today to Janice Brethwaite, who is the Director of Workforce Programs for the Massachusetts League of Community Health Centers in Boston. In this position, she is responsible for implementing workforce development programs in 50 community health centers and their multiple sites throughout Massachusetts. You may want to grab a pen and a piece of paper for this one because I anticipate that this is going to be a phenomenal interview. The work that Janice is doing, while centered in Massachusetts, has implications that can be broadly applied throughout the nation. And she has this unique way of working with institutions in a variety of different environments and settings and disciplines to bring that resource in to these community health centers. So I'm just fascinated and excited about today's show. Janice, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. And we're really excited to have you here. Can't wait to learn more about the work of your organization. So mm-hmm. why don't we jump right in? Tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing. Well, I work for the Massachusetts League of Community Health Centers, and they have 52 community health centers in Massachusetts that are part of the association. The association is really, you think of it like a trade association. So the health centers pay us dues, and we agree to do certain things for them. Uh, and that includes technical assistance, policy work, workforce, uh, which I'm involved with, with quite a lot. So the league has been around for probably close to 55 years now. So it's very well known in Massachusetts and in the United States. That's really exciting. And it would seem as though that would have you touching quite a different group of areas, right? Or topic areas within right. these centers that you're sort of helping to support in various ways. What would you say are the priority focus points? I think health equity. Also, you know, we serve the underserved. So we, as health centers across the country, take anyone, we'll we'll give anyone care, whether they're insured, they have money, you know, that's part of our mandate is to serve anyone that needs health care. So it's really about health equity. And I think that ties very much into what's going on with COVID right now. Oh, yes, indeed it does. And what's been the perspective of yourself and your colleagues on that? Well, somebody was asking me how I like to work, why I like this work. And I said, the thing that really I enjoy the most is interaction with the community health centers, because they do really unbelievable work under very difficult circumstances, sometimes with not a lot of money. And somehow they manage to keep the doors open and everything running and and continue to serve patients. So I really have a lot of respect for them. When I first came to this work, I didn't really know a lot about community health since I didn't know a lot about healthcare, but I've been with this organization for about 15 years. So I learned over time, you know, the value that these health centers provide. That's really fascinating. Now, there are different types of community health centers. Are the ones that you're supporting, do they include the federally qualified health centers? Are they, is it exclusive to them? Tell us a little bit more about the centers that you support. Sure. The majority of them are federally qualified health centers, but we also serve hospital licensed health centers. So a big major hospital in Boston here, uh, let's say Brigham and Women's, they have a health center and they would be part of the league. And we also have some, they call lookalikes. They're not quite federally qualified. They're kind of like a mix of the two. 
so yeah, so the majority are fairly qualified. That's really fascinating. Do you see a difference in the types of needs that they have, or are they all are the needs very similar? How would you say that they sort of differ from one another? You know, aside from some of the financial support elements, right? Mm-hmm. But perhaps in the 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 ser- not only the the services that they render, but perhaps even in the unique needs of their employee base. Right. I think they're pretty similar because they're working in underserved communities. All of these, whether it's a hospital licensed health center or a federally qualified health center, they're going to be somewhere where people don't have great access to health care. And the workforce in the health centers through this time of COVID have been stretched to the limit. And as I said, somehow they've made it work. And every day is still a challenge with vaccine distribution. So they really have to be creative in how they serve their customers and their patients. One of the things that was an issue before the pandemic was clinician burnout, right? Clinician burnout, retention. I think sometimes people come into this work and they feel that they don't really understand the work that's going to have to be done. Actually, you know, community health centers don't pay like big hospitals. Um, We just can't afford it. So someone coming into it, whether it be a physician or, you know, somebody at the front desk really has to have a passion for the work because they're not going to be compensated to the level that you would be at a Mass General Brigham. So the retention issue is a big thing. How do you overcome that? I think what's happening, I'm doing a lot of work. I'm starting to do some work with the, at least three health centers and the 16 health centers I'm totally are interested in working on organizational culture. Um, changing the culture of the organization. We had a site visit from um, Health Resource Service Administration at HRSA, and um, I got a chance to present to them some of the preliminary work I had done around organizational culture. And they really felt that it was really important. And they kept asking me questions about it. You know, I could tell it was deep interest. So then they decided to, to assign it as a promising practice for community health centers across the country. So I'm rolling out a program right now. It's called the, the Way Forward Comes From Within. And it's to work with community health centers to really evaluate, reevaluate the foundation of each one of those health centers and to really look at all aspects of employee engagement, employee retention. Uh, it's going to be quite an extensive program. So I'm really excited about that because I was funny because when I put the call out to the health centers, I said, if I get one health center in this environment, I'll be lucky. And I stepped away from the computer and I came back an hour later and there were three. I said, oh, good. At least I got three. The next morning I got up and there were 13 more. So I said, there's something here. There's something definitely here. They're starting to understand that there's something else that's impacting their workforce, their viability, their financial, all of it. So I'm really excited. I I haven't announced who the three are yet, but um, I'm going to do a webinar for the 16 just to so they'll know what it's all about. That sounds really exciting, like a great opportunity. I would imagine, though, of course, timing is, you know, so key, right? Because we're still sort of in the midst of everything with the pandemic. And so what do you anticipate being the time frame in which you really will begin to officially sort of launch in terms of the engagement of these sites that you're going to select? I believe I'll probably be launching by the end of April. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. I just got certified. I got accredited by this organization called Human Synergistics. 
-hmm. And they have a tool that I felt would really be a good tool to use to help get to the, the root causes of what's going on in organizations that are impacting them as far as, you know, their employees, their patients. Um, so, yeah, so I expect to roll it out. You know, I'm pretty much there with what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to present it, like I said, to the 16 health centers and roll it out at the end of April. That sounds awesome. And when you think about some of the other areas of opportunity, what else is on your radar? Um, I'm doing some work. So COVID has really impacted the workforce that was previously in the health centers and either were furloughed or they just couldn't come back because of childcare issues or, you know, with schools not being in. So I also noticed that in other industries, that was the same kind of thing. And one of them was the hospitality industry. And I came up with this idea that maybe we could bring some of the people that are in hospitality feel into community health centers because call centers and front desk and, you know, maybe not the clinical roles, but in the auxiliary roles. So I reached out to this organization called Best Hospitality and we formed a partnership. So some of our health centers, uh, actually, they post jobs on the web, the job board for these people that waiters, hosts and hostesses. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to get some of those people back to work sooner than later. That sounds really exciting. You know, the REACH organization, one of the things that we do is quite a bit of research. Mm -hmm. And and one area of of focus has been in clinical empathy and looking at how individuals who are accessing the healthcare system perceive the empathy amongst the, you know, the staff, the clinicians, everyone who, who they're encountering as part of their interaction with the system. And in the unfortunate reality is that, you know, 75% of them perceive that the clinicians express no empathy. And I think an element of that is can be just as simple as how the other person on the other end of the phone sounds Mm -hmm. when you're calling, asking for help. So the notion that you're bringing in folks who have a hospitality background and can appreciate the importance of the greeting and being able to help to answer questions. And even when they don't know the answer, be willing to help them to get to the right place is really important. So we applaud you for that work. This is going to be really exciting. We can't wait to continue to watch how that all unfolds directly and positively impacting your community. Yes. You know, I really think one of the, you brought up a very good point about physician empathy. I was working with a health center. I actually was doing customer service training for them. And this was a while back. And the CEO came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I'd like to do something for the, the physicians. You know, I don't think this training definitely hits the the mark. So I said, you know, it's interesting you should say that because I've been thinking about developing a training called customer service with emotional intelligence. And he said, if you, if you develop it, you can pilot it here. And I did it for about in the health center, about 12 different physicians. And I really feel like it was impactful because I don't think they think of them terms of always of how am I emotionally responding to this person? You know, right. how am I, is my facial expression, is my body language, am I assuming because someone looks like, has a facial expression like this, they're fine. You know, especially when we have a lot of people from other parts of the world that are come to community health centers. And in many cases, you know, doctors are considered like gods in other countries. And you're not going to really push back on your physician 
if you believe that, you know, you shouldn't question what the doctor says. And someone could be saying, I'm fine, and they're not fine. So you have to, as a physician, kind of read it, you know, read into it and and really start probing and asking questions. So that was basically what that training was about. And then I did it for a whole staff at One Health Center, uh, included everybody, and around emotional intelligence as well, because I think it comes down to that. I don't think in, in medical school, they probably should, but they don't talk about emotional intelligence. Yeah, it's one of the least referred to topics, mm-hmm. that is for mm-hmm. sure. That is for sure. Who are some of the stakeholders? I mean, you've given a couple of names of folks that you've collaborated with. Right. Could you tell us a little bit about some of the others and how those sort of relationships come to be formed? Sure. We have a good, we have a good relationship. And actually, they just gave us a bunch of money, the Department of Public Health, the Massachusetts Department of Public Health. So we, ha- we get a lot of grants from them to work on specific projects. We also get outside money from other organizations. I'm trying to think of some that have just recently come in. Blue Cross Blue Shield gave us some money to fund our diversity initiative. And a lot of this money, most of it goes, you know, is funneled back to community health centers in some way, shape or form. Like I'm working on a project now with the Department of Public Health grant where I've uh, been able through that grant to give 11 health centers $46,000 to work on building a pipeline for medical assistance within their organizations and to really look at doing a landscape assessment and also doing some on-site medical assistant training uh, for their incumbent workforce. You know, it, it comes from very, I mean, the federal government, we have a federal grant. That's what makes us a primary care association. So every three years, we have to reapply for that grant. And then they have, of course, HRSA has things that they want you to do. They want you to focus on. So. It's, it's varied. And, you know, some of it comes government. I don't think as much private as um, funding, but a lot, of, a lot of it from nonprofit, you know, organizations that are able to funnel money th- to us. The state of Massachusetts has also given us a lot of money to do a program specifically around physicians. And that was a five-year grant just coming to an end now. How are community health workers and community health educators, you know, those who are like to say, like really in the trenches, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, they're frontline, but they're also extending out directly into the communities. How are they brought into the fold of the work that your organization is doing and supporting? I'm glad you asked that question because there's a big uh, grant that's funding community health worker, not training. And I think what's happened is a community health worker, because sometimes they weren't on site, they weren't really, really considered is how impactful the work is that they do. And I believe that goes back to the pandemic. I think people saw, well, community health workers could have done a lot of this work and, you know, alleviated some of the stress that some of the people had understanding what was going on with COVID. So they're investing. I talked about $5 million. They're investing a lot of that money into community health workers because they want to upskill them and they want to really value them and, and, and show that they can really make a difference in people's outcomes, health outcomes. You know, they're, they're underappreciated. They have a pulse on really deep into the community mm-hmm. because they're out there walking, you know, going to people's houses and they're making sure people are taking their medications and, you know, helping them as they age and they need certain things. I mean, they really are. I don't think myself, I really understood totally what they did until I started doing some training, the customer service training when they started talking about the kinds of things that they run into and the kind of um, 
work that they do. So I think in the future, that's going to become a really respected type of work that people are going to really finally realize how important it really is. Let's hope so, because they certainly have not just now, but, you know, for years and years, decades and decades have proven to our ability to eradicate certain conditions and Mm -hmm. be able to manage others have been through the instrumental work that they have delivered. So that's really exciting to hear that there's that recognition that's happening finally Mm -hmm. and that there's some programs that are putting in place. I can't go through all of this without asking about technology. I would Mm -hmm. presume that, you know, I I know from our interactions, of course, directly being representatives of the healthcare industry, but also in our research around the healthcare industry have found that one of the areas of struggle has been in relation to, you know, the digital health literacy, the tech literacy of providers and community centers. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and how your organization is helping to support in terms of really building those skill sets as well? Sure. A while back, we had meaningful use um, was introduced, and it was really an incentive for hospitals, uh, health centers to really use their EMRs, their electronic medical records systems. And at that time, there were some health centers that didn't have electronic medical records, which I still to this day can't believe. There were some that didn't have them. Every health center now has electronic medical records. And it certainly has made the work easier and sometimes harder. I think it was really difficult for older physicians and clinicians to really get on board with the EMRs at certain times. It was a change in workflow. It was a complete new way of of doing things. So it took some time for people to realize that it was a benefit to them as clinicians, but it's also a benefit to, you know, having a complete record of someone's healthcare within the community health centers. Because you might have a patient that goes to as a primary care doc, a behavioral specialist, you know, may have gotten blood work. You can keep, you can see it all, what's going on. So I think it's, it's revolutionized the organizations, the health centers. I think that they're really now really looking for what's the next step? What's the next thing that we want to do in the technology area? Do you anticipate that implementing telehealth as a component oh, yeah, that's what, or that's remote what monitoring been. will be some of the things that are coming to the forefront? The pandemic has really pushed us into telehealth. For years and years, it was discussed as something that was going to happen someday. And I would say COVID was a blessing and a curse. It was a curse for obvious reasons, but it was a blessing because it made us look at the infrastructure of organizations and what could be. I believe that telehealth would not have come in if it hadn't been COVID. We'd still be talking about it. And we found that And I'm sure other organizations have found that it's really impactful in behavioral health, that people would rather do it outside of the organization or the, or the building that you can keep in better touch with your, with your clients. So it's been a boon because a lot of times when people were referred to behavioral health, they wouldn't come to their appointments, but the no show rate has basically just gone down. So people are, you know, responding to Zoom meetings or phone calls or whatever. And I think right now we're just scratching the surface of what telehealth could be. I think there are still some challenges because 
you have people that are, at least in our organizations and the patients, some people that really have technology available to them and some people that don't. And so we're going to have to figure out how do we bridge that gap if we want to continue to do telehealth. But I think telehealth is here to stay. It's not going to leave. It's really fascinating to see the transitions that are coming even to our community health centers. Very exciting. Yes. And looking forward to learning more about how your organization is helping to positively impact it as it very much seems to be doing to do today. That's mm-hmm. awesome. What are some of the resources that you have just found to be invaluable that perhaps you'd like to recommend to our listeners? I am, because I'm in the workforce area. I do workforce programs for the health centers. And I've uncovered some resources, again, possibly because of the pandemic, you know, like connecting the health centers to our mass hire, which are the organizations that in Massachusetts that, you know, do job fairs and all the rest of that and connecting them to them. Because I don't think before there may have been some that had a good relationship with the Massachusetts hire groups, but most of them didn't, didn't consider them. So, and also working with, uh, it's called Jewish Vocational Services. We did a virtual career fair with them. So it's, it's oftentimes Oh, I get, I, I get people calling me quite often. I got one that called me uh, and said that they did a lot of work with medical assistant recruitment, bringing people like that in to the health centers. So, you know, they've resourced that they can use. So I try to keep my ears and eyes open for opportunities to, to pull people together. And I actually found one, a, a diverse talent. Uh, they're out of Denver. Do you know diverse talent? I don't. Tell us a little bit about them and your engagement with them. So they sent me uh, one of those marketing emails that we all get every once in a while. And, you know, we were thinking about diversity initiatives and and things like that at the time. And I thought, you know, I'm going to reach out to these organizations. So I reached out to them and um, we had a Zoom call and they told me that they recruit across the country and diverse candidates for organizations, mostly healthcare and I think IT and maybe engineering. I'm not sure. So I said, you know, this is really interesting. So the HR, HR person and uh, myself talked to them and um, I said, you know, I don't know how we're going to utilize this. So my COO said, when I told her about this, she said, you know, we should bring them into our Commonwealth Purchasing Group, which is a group purchasing area that's part of the league. And so I set up a meeting with group purchasing and diverse talent. And now they have become an offering under the Commonwealth Purchasing Group. So it's a woman-owned company, African-American woman, and I'm going to be speaking on a panel out there at the end of April. They're having a job fair for a couple of days, and I'm going to speak on one of them. But you know, resources like that, sometimes you just have to... Another one was the Blue Fort Institute. I reached out to them because the guy, one of the people that's going to be on the panel is from there. So I thought, well, you know, maybe we could... Internships. Oh, internships. They do internships. Hey, that sounds really good. You know, maybe we could get some diverse candidates as interns for a period of time in the summer. So I mean, trying to bring all these things together to kind of make like a, you know, a patent, like there's something that they can use, the health centers can use, the league can use, how are we going to use it? I think that that is so amazing the way you've been just thinking out of the box, right? And that's really what this show, Reach Radio, has always been about, is helping people, encouraging them to think out of the box when we think about the healthcare ecosystem yeah. and who our 
you know, partners and collaborators might be. And the way that you've been able to demonstrate that through, first off, yes, you're located in Massachusetts, but you're reaching beyond, right, nationally to identify groups to work with, unsuspecting organizations to engage with. And even though you didn't call it out, you know, you sort of said, Hey, I decided to open an email that I otherwise would have just deleted. Exactly. <laughs> right? yes. Sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you just don't know. No. And you were curious enough to reach out and learn a little bit more about it. And I just, I love that. And, I, and I'm sure that our listeners have loved it as well. If we wanted to reach out to you, Janice, to learn more about the services of your organization, or perhaps if one of our listeners has a question for you, what Mm -hmm. would be the best way for them to contact you? Well, they can contact me at my work email. It's jbrathwaite, all one word, at massleague, all one word, dot org. Wonderful. And your website is? www.massleague.org. Excellent. Dennis, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure to have you on the show. And thank you to our listeners. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to Reach Radio. This program is made possible by listeners like you. To learn more about Reach and to support this program, visit www.reachtl.org.